Hi, I'm Jess O'Callaghan and welcome to the Audiocraft podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded on the lands of the Darug people and on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. In this feed, you'll find all the recordings from the 2020 Audiocraft Podcast Festival, so you can relive your favourite sessions and give the wisdom shared by your audio idols a closer listen. Welcome to Pitch Perfect, one of our favourite Audiocraft events. This year we're joined by a global panel of commissioners from Spotify who will be giving live feedback to three brave pitchers. This session is a chance to get first-hand insights into how pitch ideas are assessed at Spotify and the kinds of questions that might get asked of you if you pitch. Hosting this session is Kate Montague, Audiocraft's co-founder and managing director. Over to Kate. I am excited to welcome you all to Pitch Perfect. This is one of our favourite sessions. We did the same thing last year and it was such a success that we've decided to do it all over again this year. Um, The way the session will work is that each pitcher will be invited onto the stage and they have three minutes to do a verbal pitch and then from that point we'll hear a short clip of audio and then the judges will each ask them questions about their ideas. So it's super fun and I know it's hard because you're pitching into the abyss but hopefully we can make them feel all very welcome and warm in the comments and chats as we go. Um, And just before we start, I think it would be really good for me to introduce our panel of judges. We are in some really great company today, so I'd like to welcome all the judges into the stream. Hi, guys. (laughs) I'd like to introduce Liz Gately first. Liz is the head of network programming at Spotify, overseeing the creative development and packaging of projects with partners, media companies, agencies, and talent. Before Spotify, Liz was one of the few top-level women to run a network, and most women Most recently, she headed up program for scripted and unscripted and movies at Lifetime where she was there for three years. Um, Liz also has a passion for diversity and inclusion in the workplace and um, is looking to achieve and develop several initiatives at Lifetime to achieve greater gender parity for diversity behind the camera. Good on you, Liz. I'd also like to introduce Uni. Do you want to give us a wave, Uni? Uni uh, Nambutrapad is the executive producer in India for Spotify, where he oversees the creation and execution of original podcasts in the market. He's responsible for identifying and working with key talent across the content landscape in India and shapes the original content strategy there. So it's exciting to have you here as well, Uni. And then we've also got Leah. Leah Harris is the uh, podcast producer at Spotify Australia and New Zealand, and she focuses on developing our original podcast content for the audio streaming platform here locally. Earlier this year, she led the development and execution of Search Engine Sex, which was the first original for the streaming service in this market. And before Spotify, Leah worked at Viacom as a production executive for both the MTV and Comedy Central platforms in Australia and New Zealand. And when she's not listening to podcasts, Leah is advocating for women in production and is passionate about giving voice to diversity within the industry. So we're very lucky to have the US 
India and Australia all here um, to represent these really interesting markets. And I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing some of the questions that you guys have for our pitches. But I thought maybe to get us started, it would be really interesting to kind of um, just hear from each of you and maybe a little bit more about what Spotify is looking for in a pitch and perhaps what makes a pitch stand out and what makes an idea stand out. Liz, it'd be great to hear from you first, maybe. Great. Thank you so much, and I'm so excited to be here. Um, we look for uh, several things. Most importantly, passion in the creator and the the people behind the pitch, and a real um, special knowledge or access to the story. Um, we look for a central storyteller um, who has a great voice and who can tell the story, whether that's a journalist or a narrator or an actor, but who is the central voice of the show um, or of the podcast. Um, and I think we look for two other really important things. Is it a story that's been told before? Because if it has been, we probably can't tell it much better than it has been. I would say if you're not first, you better be best. So if it has been told before, then what do we what unique um, audio tape do you have? What audio do you have? Do you have, you know, in the clearing, it was the, the audio tapes um, back when, do you have witnesses that, that are great um, testimonials to what happened back then? Because it's one thing for someone to tell you what they remember, it's another thing to then have the, the source audio. So, and then, culturally relevant you know spotify is a very culturally zeitgeist focused brand so it has to feel of the moment or if it does go back like wind of change it has to be somehow relate politically or culturally to now so that's what i look for that's great they're really good insights what about you uni are you looking for anything in particular yeah, I think um, I think a lot of what Liz said. Uh, I think the U.S. and Australia are probably a lot more developed in terms of uh, you know the podcast markets. Uh, we um, a lot of what Liz said we look for. For us, it's uh, slightly more granular because we have twenty-two official languages. Um, you know, so we're looking at different things. The south of India is very different from the north of India. Is different from the west of India. So we're looking at cultural context, that's really, really important. So as you go to different places, the language changes, but it's not like you can just change the language and you will get a different podcast. You need to be aware about the cultural sensitivity. So that's something we look at. Um, I think ideas versus execution, because we're so young in the market, um, everyone has a great idea, but whether that translates when you actually do a pilot or do an episode, that's something that we really look at. And the third thing I think, again, Liz mentioned, which was authenticity. Um, can you tell your story through an audio medium? People think it's pretty easy to do a podcast. It's not. So I think when they do it, they realize that you know there is a huge difference. So yeah, I think a bunch of, of what we're looking at. And as we're going, we're, we're also evolving as a market. So those things slightly change as well. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and Leah, is there particular things that you're finding for the Australian New Zealand market? 
Yeah, I think um, obviously Liz and Uni nailed it. But from my perspective, I'm always looking for that unique Australian or New Zealand tone that we can take to a global audience. And I think that's the, the coolest thing about working with Spotify is that we can get people in front of the American listeners or the Indian listeners. So what can I be looking for that's uniquely Australian but still appeals to a lot of other markets? Yeah, that's all. That's good to know. Okay, this is excellent. And I can just hear the audience's brains ticking. And I'm pretty convinced that we're going to have a lot of questions for you guys at the end. So I'd just like to encourage everyone, if you do have questions for our judges, we will be coming back to them at the end. So please add them to the comments in Hoppen. And then we can kind of um, cherry pick some of those at the end and come back to them. But I feel like we should really get started. Um, and it's probably time to interview. Um, introduce our first picture. I'm really excited to welcome to the stream Amruta Nagunkar, who's a Melbourne-based producer. So Amruta produces a podcast called Heckin' Concerned, which is about the things that scare millennials. She's got a background in video production and editing and would like to do more work in narrative fiction and narrative non-fiction areas. She's excited about the creative uses of audio to tell thrilling and moving stories and she's particularly interested in amplifying the voices of women of colour and people of colour from the LGBTQIA plus communities. Amruta, so nice to have you here. Are you ready to take it away with your three-minute verbal pitch to start? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, um, for being here. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to pitch. The idea that I want to pitch today the, is a audio fiction podcast called P.I. Vera. It's a mystery and thriller podcast that I'm creating. Um, the protagonist, Vera Aluvalia, is a private investigator in Melbourne. Um, and she finds herself neck deep in a mystery that she is completely unprepared for, and she has to solve it or die trying. So this is a podcast that I will tell over eight episodes of 15 minutes um, duration approximately, and it's an immersive sound podcast. So the story will be told through dialogue, music, ambient sound, sound effects, not really a voiceover narration as such. So kind of like Homecoming from Gimlet. Um, and it's also going to feature original music from Melbourne-based musicians, as well as a cast of diverse Australian voice actors. Why I'm really excited to make this show is because I love detective stories. I think everyone loves detective stories. Um, I love a good mystery, but also I really adore a, a disagreeable female detective. So kind of like Marvel's Jessica Jones. Um, and that's what Vera Aluwalia in P.I. Vera is. Um, also, I really love audio storytelling because it's so intimate, it's in your ear and it's your imagination can run wild. Um, and also being a, an Indian immigrant in Melbourne, that's why I've made the character an Indian and I want to hear sounds that you don't really hear in the podcast sphere often. For example, uh, the mosques or gurudwaras of Melbourne or the sound of um, shopfronts in Fitzroy or a South Asian immigrant house at dinner time where uh, the pressure cooker is going and ABC News is playing in the background, that kind of thing. So quite realistic or Melbourne trams dinging. Um, it's a recurring series and in each season, Vera will tackle a new mystery and solve it over the eight episodes. So 
future ideas could be like missing persons or um, secret police um, kidnapping protesters on the streets of Melbourne. <laughs> um, in an ideal world, if I had Spotify support, I would ask for access to the most talented sound engineers, sound designers, mixers. Um, and also I would ask for the opportunity to pick the brains of producers at Gimlet Media and ask them how they tell their stories. So what I've got uh, the sound clip for you now is just a little sample of um, like a mood board of the podcast. And it's just me and my family members doing all the voices. Uh, and my sister created the music track in like half an hour. So I can only imagine what she'll do if she has a lot of time and resources to make the soundtrack for P.I. Vera. Thank you. VA Investigations, this is Vera. A standard surveillance investigation is about four hours. Jess, hi. Vera, oh my God. It, what a surprise, it's been, it's been ages. It's so nice to see you. I write about politics for the Sentinel. Well, that's exactly what I'd expect you to be doing, Justice Jess. Okay, I have to run, but can we please make a proper time to catch up? <gasps> the victim of a hit and run in Brunswick, Melbourne, has been identified as 29-year-old Jessica Fields, a journalist for The Sentinel. The unidentified driver was found dead in his car later that night on the outskirts of Sunbury in what appears to be an explosion. So you're telling me you're closing the case just because the driver is dead? Look, all I know is that Jess was working on a story about the election and maybe we'll find something there. I'm sending you an encrypted file that I sent to Jess with information about a cyber attack. <laughs> Shit! Vida, why are you doing this? It's not worth your life, Vida. Mum, I'm sick of letting assholes win. Jess will not have died in vain. So much fun, Amruta. Well done. That was really great. Um, I was, yeah. I want to encourage everyone to like actually give Amruta their support in the comments too, because it's a very brave thing to do this live, and particularly like into the abyss of a virtual event. So I think that's um, if we can all give her our encouragement in the comments. Liz, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have some questions for Amruta? Yeah. Well, first of all. Um, Thank you for being here. Really nice to meet you. I have, um, uh, I really liked a lot of things about your your pitch. I loved that it was a detective story. We know um, from some of um, our data that the whodunit really works well, at least in the US. Um, I love that your intent is for it to really be an authentic mix of, of sounds, um, I love the the reference to ABC News in the background um, and that you want to cast diverse actors. I love that your family helped you and that your sister scored. So brava um, to family. <laughs> we all have to uh, beg, borrow and steal from friends and family as we're, we're, we're starting up in the world. And, and that's great that you have such support from your family. Um, I developed a lot of scripted at Lifetime. I developed 
the thriller You, which may have traveled there. Um, yeah. And um, I did Unreal and then I did Teen Wolf back in the day at MTV. So I was a producer on that show. So I've done a lot of fiction in video. And what I'm finding in audio, I'm, I'm, I'm learning it too for the first time, but um, is that you need limited spaces, you need familiar rooms, you need doctor's offices. And that's what worked so well in Homecoming. There was that central relationship. Um, and we actually have a, a, a podcast that just launched called Fairies that's similar. It's just one-on-one -on -one conversations. So I think that would be my one question is how can you limit the world into familiar rooms where people already know the room, you know, the moment you hear the door and you hear the doctor's office say, we're going to need to take your temperature, you're immediately visualizing the room. And my biggest question was, what are the emotional stakes for Vera? It sounds like there's a mother relationship, but, uh, you know, other characters, the, the great thing about whodunit and detectives going back to Perry Mason is there were always, or, or law and orders, there's always... Um, a sister, a mother, a, a colleague that 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 is important to Vera. It sounds like that was Jess. Yeah. So I would flesh that relationship out a little bit more, as well as once Jess is gone, what are what are Vera's emotional stakes for her? What's driving her other than just solving that? Is it to prove to her detective dad that she's good enough? You know, there's always those backstory things that keep the the listener the listener hooked. So those would be my hopefully constructive comments. Um, yeah. But really, really well done. Thank you. Thank you for your feedback. And yes, those both those points about how to make the world um, familiar so that audience can quickly cue into what's happening and also the stakes involved in the emotional relationships are something that I need to really figure out for this. Thank you. With, with the stakes, actually, there is a little bit of the, uh, you know, I was talking about disagreeable characters and Vera is somebody that doesn't like people. She doesn't trust people and she has very few friends. And Jess is somebody who is from her past, a uh, somebody that she loved so it was a, there's a romantic connection and then that person dies and that's part of the quest to get her justice but I understand that there has to be a few more dimensions yeah uh, well it sounds like you have a lot of the um pieces and beats figured out so I always encourage folks to write you know if you have it write write the script and and, and have something to be ready because it sounds like you you have it i love female characters that are complicated and not perfect and yeah. and i think that's really important so well Thank done you. thanks there's some great questions and comments there um what about you uni have you got any kind of questions for amruta about this idea yeah, I think, first of all, um, great pitch. Uh, I really liked the way you put it together. I especially like the the cultures coming together, which we spoke about as well, right? So you have, you know, your yeah. mother saying, you know, what's wrong, beta, which, which really resonates with me because I'm Indian. Um, but um, I think fiction as a genre, and we've seen this in our limited experience in India as well, we have a fiction 
character yes, I know, Bos. called yes. Bhaskar Bose. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, so you do. So it has traveled. So um, we we've seen we've seen that there has been a lot of interest in it, and it has multiple characters. It has a lot of intrigue. Um, so I think as a as a genre, it does work. I had a couple of questions on as I was listening to it. Uh, and more in terms of your vision for the character. So, if you do, and if and when you do go into season two, season three, what is the story arc of the character? Um, how are you going to take it forward? And why only eight episodes? Like, why not? I, I know it takes a lot of you know production effort and and all of that, but why not twenty episodes? Why not thirty episodes? Um, yeah, actually, it, there isn't a particular reason why I picked eight episodes. I was kind of looking at the model that. Um, Gimlet does with Homecoming or Mother Hacker, and they have seven or eight episodes. But there's other shows like Q Code. Um, I'm listening to Left Right Game at the moment, and they have a few more episodes, so it's not just eight. Uh, and their episodes are 40 minutes long, so they're doing a lot of stuff. So um, I think it would uh, come down to what, um, as Liz was saying, what's kind of controllable and uh, without muddying it up and confusing listeners that where are we, what are we doing within this story that'll decide how how many episodes a thing can go for. In terms of Vera's arc, I would like to see um, a resolution of personal issues happening over multiple seasons. What they are at the moment, I can only sort of talk generally about, but we've, you know, we'll hint throughout that there are definitely trust issues with people. Um, and I think part of any any uh, tortured, sad detective character is coming back into the world because um, they've been so removed. Um, and I think that that's going to be Vera's meta arc as well. Um, it could be healing from past trauma or relationship with father as, or, or parents, as Liz pointed out. Um, so those might be the kinds of things that she does. What about you, Leah? Have you got any questions from Amrita as well? I do. Um, I think this one is super exciting. We do have a small but I think untapped market for the fiction genre in Australia and New Zealand. Um, we can see from our data that Australian and New Zealanders love still listening to import content from, from Gimlet, from Spotify, from around the world. But um, what can we do locally to be able to build out Australian voices in the fiction space? I think that will be a really cool one for us. So, I mean, my one is more, um, what would be some of your dream voice actors? Who is Vera? Um, and, you know, what uh, locally, uh, what local people would you like to see involved in your project? Um, I actually haven't really thought about this, but I have a strategy for how I will find my actors, which is um, really trying to find actors who are not well known. In, in The focus of this is somebody that can obviously portray the character, not that they're a well-known voice or a face. Um, and actors that are uh, of different ages or who are not necessarily going to get exposure much in media is where I'll be looking to find authenticity of accent or things. Yes. In terms of music, uh, I mentioned before, but uh, I really want to work with electronic and rock and jazz music producers and composers from Melbourne. 
because I want to build that film noir. Well, I say film, but it's that shortcut for noirish worlds. Um, and definitely, um, my sister Purvan Urgunkar is a musician, and she will be doing the the soundtrack for the show. Uh, but I have a list of the kinds of sound engineers or designers that I'm inspired by, and I would. In an ideal world, if I could ask for that, I would love to work with people like Mark Phillips, who did Homecoming, or Martin Peralta, that's Crime Town. Um, um, we've got um, Misha Stanton, that's done the Marvels podcast and the Bright Sessions, so people like that. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any female sound designers that are working on the ones I really love, but if I could do that, I would do that. We'll find them. <laughs> They yeah. might even be here now yeah. if you're yeah. that, if you're <laughs> a Rita's dream sound engineer, sound designer, you can put a comment in the in the chat box and she can find you. Yeah. <laughs> all right, thanks so much, Amrita. That was really Thank fun and really great to hear your ideas. Thanks for sharing with us. So I think it's time to introduce our next picture, um, who's coming to us all the way from Brussels. I just want to give a special gold star to Ilya, who woke up at 4.30 a.m. this morning to join us. Ilya Gridiv is an Australian-born journalist but is currently living in Brussels. He's been a foreign co correspondent in Europe, Africa and the Pacific for more than 15 years. And prior to this, when in the Southern Hemisphere, Ilya worked at the Sydney Morning Herald as a crime reporter. He's also worked across the Pacific for the Australian Associated Press, Associated Press, where he was their correspondent based in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea from 2008 to 2010. Ilya hasn't made a podcast yet, but he is ready to take the plunge, which is why he's here today. Ilya, would you like to share your three-minute pitch and then we can play your audio? Great. Thanks a lot, everyone, and thanks for having me. So this is a story that goes way back in time, but is incredibly relevant today. It's a story about young people angry with their parents, uh, about a new nation breaking free from its colonial past, and about Australia's relationship with Britain. But basically, this story is about a, a couple, a German couple called Ingrid Koch and Renee Gerlitz. They're young, in love, and traveling across Australia. They're traveling down the east coast of Australia and discover that uh, Ingrid is pregnant. But when they get to Sydney, things take a curious turn. Uh, Ingrid is pregnant, but they decide to steal a yacht and sail to Papua New Guinea. They sail to a remote island in Papua New Guinea and they have a child and they start living in the village. But things again start to take a strange turn because they're preaching to the locals, they're preaching to the, to the villagers about violent revolution, about overthrowing the government. They also are doing a lot of uh, nude sunbaking and bathing in public and uh, publicly breastfeeding, which really upsets the villagers there. So soon the local authorities are alerted and they come to uh, see what's going on and arrest uh, the couple for illegally entering PNG. But in the process, they discover the yacht is stolen and try to take them back to Pop uh, Port Moresby's capital, uh, sorry, Papua New Guinea's capital, Port Moresby. Renee and Ingrid make a dash for it and escape police custody, but are later captured and then taken to Port Moresby for trial. But this is where things get really murky because the alarm bells start ringing. When they make it to Port Moresby, the PNG officials are told that these people are wanted in Germany for a string of robberies and uh, their links to terrorism. So they're basically wanted in connection to a group called the Bader Meinhof. So this 
podcast is set in the 1970s uh, and you need to forget about all those cliches about things being groovy and bad hair and disco. Things are far from groovy. The world is becoming more complicated. In West Germany, the Bader-Meinhof gang are trying to uh, right the wrongs of their Nazi parents. They're trying to end capitalism. They're waging war and ultimately trying to reshape the way German society exists and functions. At the same time, Papua New Guinea is famous for attracting mercenaries, missionaries, and misfits. And uh, maybe I fit into one of those categories myself when I was based there as a, a correspondent for the Australian Associated Press. But at the same time, there's a group of Aussies that were part of the administration back in the 70s that still are alive today and remember this story uh, and I've spoken to. So I was having a beer with one of them, one of the arresting officers who told me about this incredible story. And since then, I've done archival research, I've interviewed people, I've got newspaper clippings, I've got the official documents of them arriving in Australia, but so many questions remain unanswered, and this is what I hope to discover with a podcast series. I, I mean, I'm just curious as to why a heavily pregnant uh, woman would travel to Papua New Guinea, one of the most sort of remote and isolated countries in the world, a, a place famous for tropical diseases, uh, tribal violence, and uh, even a history of cannibalism. And at the same time, wondering whether these people were really hippies on the backpacker trail, just traveling around the world, or were they much more sinister and involved in this international terrorism? I want to track down Ingrid and I want to find her child. I mean, the child would be basically my age these days. So there's a lot of these sort of uh, investigations that need to be carried out in Germany, in Papua New Guinea, and in Australia. This is a, a, a podcast series that has many twists and turns, but will focus on characters, will focus on sounds, and focus on the political turmoil of the time. It's a mystery that I think can be solved. We'll hear sounds of PNG uh, hosting their first ever election, which was in 1977, and the fanfare of independence, the hope of a new generation of leaders becoming a new nation. There's the pomp and circumstances of brass bands playing as the Australian flag is lowered. And then at the same time in Australia, you have a, a royal visit. Uh, you have the Queen visiting Australia, and you have a sort of growing uh, or a small uh, push or protest for the Republic. And there's even an incident in Melbourne where someone throws a placard at the Queen. So there's all that kind of colour and movement, which I hope to get through archival uh, recordings and sound that from the time. Uh, I think these historic stories will be, the, the historic uh, will be woven into a, a this, the investigation of trying to find where are they now, where are the people from those uh, from that event, where are they now? And I'm connected to this story because I was in Papua New Guinea at the time. I've lived in Germany myself. Uh, I was involved in student politics. Uh, and when I was around their same age, I also wanted to change the world. I think it's incredibly relevant now, considering the current climate of, of, of intergenerational conflict, of, of young people being quite frustrated by their parents and about the turmoil at the moment politically, about the sort of uh, questions now about colonialism, about the reparations that some countries are calling for, about all of the sort of protests around climate change and how do you actually bring about change that uh, without being involved in violence or getting in, in, into some sort of strife like that uh, Renee and Ingrid got into. So it's a podcast full of vivid characters and color and movement. And I think the audio clip will highlight this with uh, one of the, the people I've already interviewed uh, is Eddie Pfeiffer, who was the German consul at the time. He was involved very closely with the court case, the trial, 
and he uh, remembers the, the story very vividly and he has no doubt in his mind that Renee and Ingrid were uh, wanted terrorists and uh, basically were serious uh, people who have been involved in, a, in, in violence and not to be taken lightly. It's summer in Sydney, 1976, and a young German couple steal a yacht from Pitwater near Palm Beach. Rene Gerlitz and Ingrid Koch sail 3,000 kilometers to Papua New Guinea in search of some sort of hippie utopia. Or are much more sinister plans afoot, and they're actually international fugitives. But their time in paradise is cut short when irate villagers hand them over to the authorities. They put him in the clink. They don't get much help from the German consul in Port Moresby, a Volkswagen salesman called Eddie Pfeiffer. Rene pleads guilty to assure the release of Ingrid and their newborn. But Rene, less than a year into his two-year sentence, is found hanged in his cell in March 1978. You make sure he goes to jail, because if he comes back to Germany, go to jail here. He's wanted in connection with the Baramainov group. And I said, oh, fuck. <laughs> Officials at the time said they were wanted by Interpol for serious crimes in West Germany, that they had links to the left-wing terror group the Bader-Meinhof gang, a group that had been waging war against the state with armed robberies, assassinations and a string of bombings. I first heard this story during my stint as the AAP correspondent in Papua New Guinea and it's a story that's been with me ever since. Are Ingrid and their baby still alive? Where are they now? Were Ingrid and Renee really German terrorists or just naive hippies? This is a mystery podcast that spans three countries and explores the political upheaval of the late 1970s. It's a turbulent time, but what's the real story of this young German couple who simply stole a yacht from Pitwater? I'm Ilya Gridnev. Let's find out. Oh, Ilya, it's a meaty one. This <laughs> one, there's a lot to there's a lot to this story. Liz, do you have any comments or feedback or questions for Ilya? Yeah, really, really interesting story um, that reminds me a little bit. It's sort of part conspiracy theory and part mystery. Um, I would say as a as a buyer, um, it's it's I, I'm just curious what about this story. Um, is inside you that you feel you you have to tell you said there that that you've this is a story you've followed for a long time i'm just curious is is there something personally in your background that's connected to this yeah, story well, i think as I'm i mentioned curious. in the pitch i was involved in student politics and i kind of can see myself uh or you know looking back at a former younger self uh the sort of wanting to change the world and i think certainly that's why i think it's relevant now we see a lot of young people very frustrated the way things are and i've lived in germany so i know about the significance of the Bader-Meinhof and about how they captured the sort of spirit of the times of, of young people being very angry with their parents from the past and again in papua new guinea like the 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 young people that led the new nation they were very angry with the australian colonial administration so they also wanted to um bring about a new change and and, and had hope and, and wanted to sort of lead their new nation and i feel all of those kind of themes uh, tie in so well right now with how a lot of young people and old people as well or everyone mm -hmm. is frustrated with how things are going uh personally i have also been involved in sort of crazy adventures and things like that and as a foreign correspondent have done uh high risk activity and I feel that I have a sort of an understanding potentially of how uh, 
some people could get involved in this kind of uh, adventure, but then how sometimes those adventures can shift into more kind of dangerous territory. And I think also I'm curious from myself about how, how do you exact change? How do you bring about positive influence into the world and that you have extreme forms of that at the moment with violence and people believing that the only way forward is to kind of really be hostile against the oppressive forces. But we have so many historical examples of that where that's failed and, and we have to try and wait, learn ways to move forward and, and, and bring about change, but maybe through nonviolent means. That's exciting. Well, the, re the reason I ask is um, one of the hardest things to to tell is is a really deep limited series doc and if the subject matter is super you're super passionate about it um one thing to do is to, to consider is is making this one of many stories you would you would talk about because it sounds like this is a broader um, passion for you than just the story. I've just learned how long it takes to make these limited series. To it takes a whole year to make eight episodes, and then you've started the feed, and then it's yeah. done. So I almost feel like you might want to consider, you know, a, a, a reply all pod pod a talk format where you go deep per episode, like a closed ended, where this becomes one of them, just in terms of the longevity of your idea, because it's, a, <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of time. And, yeah. uh, and and it's really hard to tell those stories without having uh, Ingrid already on, on the on the hook yeah <laughs> having her um, so I would think about that because it sounds like your passion is really in these political stories conspiracy theories did they did they were they on the good side or bad side and I think there might be a larger theme there that in terms of uh, the you know the time you're gonna put into it, it it's we always say, um, frequency matters in podcasting. And if you're going to open up a feed, the more you put down it, the more you're able to grow your audience. So it sounds like your passion stems well beyond this story. Um, so I would consider that. If you want to tell this story, I think it's a, it's a story that goes a little far back in, the, in terms of the 70s. So a lot of your witnesses are going to be um, going to be uh, dying <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's you're gonna have to find places that keep that keep and i've been down this road as well which is is why when we did son of a hitman a lot of charles harrelson's peers were were very old and it was hard to find quite yeah. honestly a lot of them that were alive um so i would think about that too is before you spend all that time going down this road it's yeah. not a sure path so that would be my feedback. Great, thank you. I can see Leah and Ernie's heads nodding a lot. Like I could get the sense that this sort of feedback and comments are really resonating. Leah, did you have any specific questions for Ilya as well? Um, I think Liz nailed that, but I guess from a kind of local perspective, I always want to hear why you think that this story or this project mm. is right for Spotify yeah, well, Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, well, as I kind of suggested at the end of my answers before i think that there is a resonance now i mean we see so much upheaval in the world and there's so much sort of uh political so many political challenges at the moment i, I think it's important to 
maybe remind people that, you know, each generation is not the first time to be pissed off with their parents. Each generation is not the first time to be angry with the government and trying to maybe navigate that and find ways that, you know, how do we effectively bring about or, you know, become the change that we want to see without resorting to violence or resorting to, you know, because in this Papua New Guinean story, there's this great moment where they go to this remote village and, and they start preaching all these kind of revolutionary politics and anti-government kind of sentiment. And then the villagers are like, no, no, we, we actually like the government. They bring us services and they look after us. So there's this sort of attitude where, um, you know, how do we not re repeat the same mistakes as before? And, and also, um, how how can we in, you know provide some hope and that there is there is a you know a, a big world out there and there's lots of um, ways to 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 live it and not just to follow the way that you're sort of told to live or how how you see everyone else living, which these kind of this couple kind of encapsulates very well. Any, do you have any kind of final comments or questions for Ilya? Um, yeah, two questions. Before that, I, I think super interesting. Uh, story idea. I mean, I, I, I would listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering from a storytelling perspective, how you're looking at telling the story. Is it linear in the sense that this happened after which this happened and this happened? Or are you starting from the end and coming back? Because um, uh, there could be different ways to tell that story. And the second part of that question is, depending on how you're planning to tell that story, what are the what is the sort of episode arc, right? Because there are a lot of it has a lot of sub stories within that main story. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering what you want to focus on and what you want to leave out because I think here you will have the problem of plenty, right? So you will need to cut out stuff that may not make the cut. So I'm just wondering from that point of view, how you're thinking. Yeah, certainly uh, I've been thinking hard about that in the, in the process of this pitching uh, session. So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of narrative arc, obviously it's following Renee and Ingrid and their journey. And then using that as the sort of way to interweave uh, historical moments and to interweave these uh, time, like the late 70s. So you have, you know, an introductory episode, then we have a, an explainer about what was going on in maybe Germany at the time and the 60s and 70s, and then how this is a reaction to the World War II and the Nazis. And then at the same time, moving, moving the story forward to Papua New Guinea. Why would they go to Papua New Guinea? Papua New Guinea in the late 70s had just become an independent nation explore the, the politics around that. I mean, again, without going too into the weeds, like that late 70s is a super interesting time in Australia's history and then trying to kind of speak to people from the time then. And then at the same time, I, f I feel that there is this, as you know, as we discussed before, there is this investigative element to it as well. So it's trying to find the couple, trying to find Ingrid, trying to find the child and to trying to get those stories and interweave those sort of uh, witnesses and put them into the story while at the same time speaking to you know uh, researchers or academics or people who were there former politicians who were there at the time so a constant sort of back and forth and i mean in terms of signaling what i feel like it sounds like is similar to like a winds of change podcast where they were very um skillfully able to sort of weave together a story from Cold War era with, you know, a pretty funky soundtrack. And I think this is something that kind of lies to that as well, where we can have, you know, the sort of the sounds of the 70s, the sounds of independence, the sounds of uh, Papua New Guinea and the sounds of Australia at that time, a backdrop of protest and movement and people, young people, sort of um, the energy of the, that period. And I think that's 
the way of telling the story through each episode sort of being like a back and back and forth but ultimately following that narrative arc of ingrid and renee and then hopefully in the final episode revealing all and <laughs> having having a great kind of um, knocking it out in the last in the last round how are I you going to find Ingrid? <laughs> <laughs> well that's the, that's the challenge i guess and that's what i hope to get if someone commissions or that's what someone you know that's what i hope to find in, in that investment of that we are able to track these people down well, it sounds like you've got the fire in the belly, Ilya. So I hope that hopefully some of this feedback's useful for the next steps, for the idea and the development. And thanks so much for um, sharing your pitch with us today. You can go back Thank and you. drink the rest of your coffee pot and get, <laughs> exactly. on, get on with your Thank day. You. Okay. I'm gonna, um, I just want to remind everyone as well that uh, we are hopefully going to have time to take a couple of questions at the end. So if you do have questions for the judges more generally about how pitches are kind of fielded in the different markets for Spotify, please pop them into the chat box and we'll come back to them at the end. Um, but now I want to introduce our lucky last pitch um, from Lizzie Jack. So Lizzie is a journalist and podcast producer who recently graduated from the University of Wollongong with a Bachelor of Journalism. She's worked on podcasts including the University of Wollongong podcast, Can You Tell Me How? and the Australian Institute's Follow the Money and How to Make a Whistleblower podcast. She currently works as a radio producer at ABC Illawarra. And Lizzie, I'm going to let you take it from here. Tell us all about your fabulous idea. Thank you so much for that intro, Kate. So my dad is a school bus driver and he has been a bus driver for my entire life. And he actually met my mum when he was driving a party bus around Sydney and she was a passenger. But for a good stretch of the 1980s, uh, he drove a bus full of backpackers across Europe while he was working in the budget camping tour industry. So you've probably heard of Kentucky and Top Deck, but you probably haven't heard of Auto Tours. Auto Tours was once the most popular and cheapest way for 18 to 35 year olds to travel across Europe. And I grew up hearing these unbelievably true stories of my dad's travels and just the crazy things that they got up to. So he told me how they had to sneak South Africans across borders because of apartheid era sanctions. He told me how he used to smuggle alcohol into Norway to sell on the black market because of the massive alcohol taxes in Scandinavia. And he even told me that he got embroiled in an illegal denim jean ring in Soviet Russia. He always told me that auto tours really emphasised the word budget um, and sometimes passengers didn't realise that that meant sleeping on the ground or washing their own dishes or staying in the cheapest accommodation available, which happened to be a nudist camp. But I've heard all these stories from my dad. I want to hear from all the other people who were there, the people that he's told me about over these years. So I want to hear from Lex, who was my dad's first courier who he told me Lex spent most of the tour hungover and although he had an encyclopedic knowledge of European history, according to my dad, he would explain the Battle of Waterloo to punters as if it was a pub brawl um, back in his hometown of Bundaberg. Dad told me about Joni who worked in the head office back in London and whether it was a bus crash or road crew getting arrested, there wasn't a problem she couldn't fix from behind her desk. 
I want to hear from all the people that my dad met on the road, like Motormouth, Mudguard, Mirrors and Mayonnaise, and I want to find out how they got those nicknames. But what I really want to know is what was travel like in 1980s Europe in a time of political unrest? So over six episodes, I'll interview ex-road crew, office staff and punters about the rise and fall of auto tours in this time. I'll start by finding out how one man's white lie of advertising only two seats left on a bus that didn't exist sparked an entire industry. And I'll find out how auto tours rose from the ashes, reached the top of the game and then went broke to the point that they're completely unheard of these days. So this is a cross-generational story. So whether you were maybe one of those 18 to 35-year-olds in the 80s travelling or you're like me and you can't fathom the idea of going across the globe without a smartphone, uh, this is a story for anyone who wants to take that kind of adventure that no longer exists, especially in this COVID-19 era while travel is really off the cards for quite some time. It'll be told through interviews with the people who were there, as well as their old diary entries. And I've also got archival tapes that were recorded on the road, all to the backdrop of an epic 80s soundtrack. So in this clip, you're going to hear from me as the host, and you'll hear from my dad, Warren Jack, about just some of the crazy things that he experienced in his four years behind the wheel. You know how everyone does Kentucky tours nowadays? and they're plastered all over social media? Well, imagine them in a time before Instagram, or Google Maps, or even the Euro. Russia is known as the Soviet Union, and Germany is split down the middle, a time when you still found job ads in print papers. Wanted bus drivers and couriers for European camping tours. No experience necessary, all expenses paid. This is the story of the rise and fall of auto tours one of the most popular and cheapest ways to get around Europe in the 1980s. It's a time and place that no longer exists. Told by Warren Jack, who went for a quick holiday and stayed on the road for four years. It was a great life. It was fantastic. But being behind the wheel of Europe's longest party could be a bumpy ride. Oh, I saw people fall in love. I saw people fall out of love. I saw a married couple break up. I've had guns pointed at me. I've been stood over for bribes by chunky cops and border guards. Come on a journey where brochures and itineraries are merely suggestions and rules are hardly followed. Yeah, well, I made a, a bit of extra money smuggling alcohol into Scandinavia. The only instruction? Bring back happy customers. It was the longest hours, the worst conditions, the lowest pay, but the best job I've ever had. Mm, thanks. Thanks, Lizzie. This one's super fun. <laughs> Liz, do you want to start us off again? Do you have questions or comments? Sure. Um, I'll kick off and then I've, I've um, spoken a lot for the last two, so I'll turn it over to um, Annie and Leah. Um, I think it's super fun. I think it has remnants of Fire Festival. I'm old enough to totally remember auto tours um, and, and that era of people going. I can't even believe our parents let us go to Europe on those buses without... Uh, cell phones and like the fact that we never knew whether we were coming back. I think you probably have more than six episodes. I think um, it's gonna, uh, you're having your, your dad and that personal relationship is great. That adds a really fun layer. Um, 
And I think to make it that kind of, I, I loved your hook in the pitch of one man's white lie, only two seats left and on a bus that didn't exist. I think that that's the fire festival of it that I responded to. And I think that story is gonna be key of what the house of cards was that that he was creating as well as the network of people he must who must have um, been hired and been lying for and with him to build this business. So I think that's wherein the fun for me lies. Cool. Oh, I'm glad to hear. I'm, um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but the, uh, the lie of the bus with the bus that didn't exist actually, they still exist. So <laughs> it, it worked out very well for them. That's amazing. Yeah. Leah, what about you? Do you have this questions for, for Lizzie on this one? Yeah, I, I love this one because it really taps into that kind of Australia, New Zealand millennial um, vibes of everyone having their gap year or aiming to have their gap year or when you're on uni holidays or TAFE holidays, you're going to Europe and getting on a Kentucky tour. So I think this can really uh, capture an audience. And what I would say is how can we capture the experiences of people who have travelled on those kind of buses in the 90s, in the early 2000s and in the 2010s, um, and even weaving in stories around uh, Kentucky and those type of people themselves and, and exploring um, history and culture through those guys and in those decades as well. I could see that really happening. So have you thought about how you might pull the story through from the 80s and into some more uh, recent times? I did actually sort of think about doing some interviews with people, like this was meant to be my travel year. So, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, yeah, on hold for a while. But I did think about interviewing people that I know that are my age, that are millennials, that have gone on Kentucky tours, and it is kind of just the rite of passage thing. And I, from my understanding, like when I've spoken to my friends about like this thing that my dad did, like they've never heard of auto tours and they kind of think that Kentucky or Top Deck is a relatively new thing. Um, and I would like to talk to them about like what was your experience can you imagine what it would have been like like pre-eu like you've got border controls at every every border you don't have the euro like you have to change currencies you've got to rely on paper maps and travelers checks like i would and that's why i think it is cross-generational because i think that the people that were there can remember and reminisce about this era of travel that we don't have anymore in a digital age but also, for, like, I haven't travelled Europe yet. and But hearing my dad's stories and not being someone that lived in that kind of time, it does offer this sort of sense of nostalgia, no matter if you were there or not. Um, but I would like to do sort of a comparison. But in saying that, I had planned out my episode um, structure and I, I wanted to finish on how auto tours kind of crumbled and, like, went bankrupt and why they've not been heard of. And then I discovered one of my dad's friends who is 70 years old and uh, last year for his 70th, 70th birthday, he went back um, to the <laughs> Netherlands and got behind the wheel again and drove a top deck tour at oh age 70. And Did he record he, any tape? <laughs> well, I haven't interviewed him yet, but he's, I yeah, I, I'm not sure if he recorded anything, but he wrote this massive long thing on Facebook and I contacted him and he was like, 
everyone was in bed at 10 p.m not with each other no one was drinking no like everyone was just on their phones and had headphones in like there wasn't so it was just this amazing like he was there at both times like that's like just a gold a gold story to tell so yeah I've definitely thought about that (laughs) nice one yeah I think um I think we're I'm gonna have to start to wrap us up there because we are actually running up against time but I feel like this one sounds like a really good time and Lizzie thank you so much for sharing your idea with us and being so brave and pitching live like this so thanks so much for joining us thanks for having Um, me it was so fun (laughs) (laughs) I think before we are getting a couple of questions and I think maybe before we wrap up it would be a really great opportunity to just check in with you Leah about the local Australian New Zealand um, market and what you're looking for there was one question that came in from Lauren Sherritt um, and she said that Leah you've said that the Australian New Zealand market is still heavily listening to imported fiction e.g from Gimlet Uh, what are you looking for in a pitch of a homegrown series that would convince you that it could really grab those markets and I guess like kind of, yeah reach broader yeah big one I mean you know I have to see the pitch but I think it's really looking at what makes a story uniquely Australian what reflects the diversity of the Australian population as well and I think that if there's good storytelling and there's a good story we can take it to a global audience but it is always wonderful and beautiful to be able to develop something that stands on this land to be able to then share it globally so um did that answer the question? <laughs> I think it did answer the question. And I guess like for the next port of call, like if there are people who are listening now who are interested in reaching out and they have that great idea, what's the best way for them to send these ideas to you? I'll um, I'll pop a link in the hop in event chat. Um, we do have a pitch form that we're using now. So that's a good way to start the conversations with, with us. Um, so you can use that and share it around. That sounds perfect. All right. Well, everyone look out for the link that um, Leah will be sharing. And look, I just want to say thank you to all of our brave pitchers, um, Amruta, Ilya and Lizzie. Please make them feel very loved in the comments and chat um, because it's a big thing to come. And I also want to say a big thanks to you guys. It was really interesting having the mix of all of your perspectives from the different markets. Um, So, yeah, thanks so much for coming. If you liked listening to Pitch Perfect 2020, give last year's pitch session a listen too. Pitch Perfect 2019 includes a documentary series about mosques, a conversational podcast about fatherhood, and some incredible advice from Australian and international commissioners. Search for it in the AudioCraft podcast feed. Find us on social media at AudioCraftFest and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au to keep in touch. Catch you next time.